grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There was a, a TV show many years ago, The Cosby Show. Most of us have seen that. You remember back? The thing I loved about The Cosby Show was the interaction of the parents with the kids. It was, it was just one of those, all of us as parents wished we could be that kind of parent as Heathcliff Huxtable. You know, that was a, that was a neat thing. Uh, but but there, were some, there were some moments in that were particularly special. The one that I remember and really cherish, and, and I don't remember exactly what it was because, you know, there were all the, all the kids, there were smart ones and a dumb one, and there was a, a goofy one and, and a, an older one and all these things. We, you know, if you have kids, you've been there with all of yours. And, but the one in particular, Dad was talking to the son. Uh, Heathcliff was, was talking to Theo. I think it was when Theo wanted to get the earring or did get the earring. I'm not sure. But the, the, the line I remember the most was he became exasperated with him, and he says, hey, I'm telling you, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Remember that? I, I just I love that because it speaks about it speaks about the, the, the relationship of of our creator, of, of not only that father or us as fathers and mothers, but perhaps as our father, as we think of ourselves as children of God. So often we neglect some of the things that come to us through the, uh, through the scripture because we become so focused on some of the other things that come here. And I think one of the beauties of John 3.16 is it helps us understand that God is the creator. Nothing we do on this earth creates. Whether you're an artist or you're a musician or, or whatever, everything we do is simply making something else out of something. God is the only one who creates, and God created us. And that's what this passage is truly about. And so often we miss that because we miss a couple of the key words that have such importance to the, to the text because we come focused and argumentative over one that, that's really pretty explanatory, and yet we, we intend to really make an issue out of it. Uh, look with me, if you will, at verses 3 and uh, verse 7. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And he repeats that in verse 7. Pardon me. I said to you, you must be born from above. Now, many of us, if we grew up Lutheran, we've pretty much learned it that way. Others from other, other particular uh, traditions have heard this verse in another way. Anybody care to share that with us? Not born from above, but born again. And, and as Lutherans, that kind of, it, it, it scares us. Ooh, be born again. Oh my goodness gracious. And, and we, we envision some televangelist who's there, you know, shaking his finger at us that we need to be born again just before he says, and what we'll do with the offering is we'll throw it up to God and God will keep what he wants and I get all the rest. That's the way that works. What we see here is, is back in the day when I was in seminary, and this is a long time ago, but back in those days, we actually did our lessons on the, on the, the blade of a shovel with a piece of charcoal. That's how we studied <laughs> back then. But one of, the, one of the things that was demanded of us, quite frankly, uh, was that we do our New Testament studies in Greek. And one of our professors, God bless him, um, um, 
Bruce Shine, Dr. Bruce Shine, died very young, 45 years old, died of Parkinson's, but brilliant. One of the leading academicians in, uh, in the Lutheran tradition. And Dr. Shine um, would, would let you take his courses in English, but if you brought an English Bible into the class, you got a B. You could not get an A. That was just it. That was just, you could ace all the tests, didn't matter, you got to be. To get an A from Dr. Shine, the only Bible you could have in there with you was your Greek text. And he wanted to impress upon us that there were some things in the original language that we couldn't duplicate very accurately in, in translation. And, and one of those was in this passage, and it just happened that, that uh, Shine actually wrote a book about the Gospel of St. John, so you know, he has uh, some, some credibility there. And, and um, without being born from above, or without being born again. And where the trouble comes is there again, we've, we've, we've taken English and we've tried to fight one translation versus another, rather than realizing that in other languages, words have broader meanings so often. And what we have here is a word that means both of these. Explain it like this. You've, you have to be reborn. How are you born in the first place? Through the miracle of God's love and grace. Sure, your parents had something to do with it, but we don't want to go there. But how are you really born? And so what I think we can gain from this and what Shine tried to show us is whether we say born from above or born from again, we are born through the grace and love of God and we want to be careful not to make this into simply something we think we do. Interesting thought. But you know, I'm not sure that this is really the key here. When we go down to verse 7 and we see this thing reiterated, you must be born from above slash again. I think there's even a stronger element here, and it's one of those words we miss because we become sidetracked. Look with me at verse 7. You must be born from above. You must be born again. No. You must be born from above. Think about the word must. Jesus is telling Nicodemus there is no exception. It has to happen. Now what happens is people take that and they think, well, I've got to do it. No, that's the whole point of Jesus being here. Once you are born of the Spirit, you have been reborn as a new being. It must happen. And so often we want to take control of that and we want to be the, the one who determines whether or not we've been born again or come to the Lord or whatever we want to say there rather than recognizing that this is something that's done by God. And, and that then explains why Jesus is so taken back when Nicodemus questions him. Well, how can anybody be born again after growing old? You don't understand this? You're a Pharisee. You're one of 6,000 people, about 6,000 is all there were, in all of Palestine at this time that studied the nuances of ancient scripture. And you don't understand this. Come on, Nick, get with the game here. And he 
he brings Nicodemus in so dearly, and Nicodemus has heard him apparently other times, because in John's Gospel, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, probably also a part of the, the, the leading group here in, in, uh, in Palestine, this Pharisee keeps reappearing, because remember, he argues on Jesus' behalf in chapter 7. He comes to anoint and prepare the body for burial in chapter 19. I think that he's not here at night because he's afraid. I think he's here at night because there would be no people around and he honestly could engage Jesus into this one-on-one -on -one stuff. A lot of people think it's because, well, it's, it's night and he didn't want to, you know, he was worried about being caught here. I don't know. That's a good argument, and we don't know for sure, so that's a very valid argument. But I like to think of it a little broader than that, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is a guy that wants to talk to Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, and, and, you know, we know that whenever Jesus shows up, everybody's there for dinner, right? And so Jesus explains it to him. No, you must be born again. It's not something you do. Birth is this gift from God. Well, how do we know that? Well, we continue on in the passage and we come to that, that verse that is so beloved, that verse that is the, the crux of our faith. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. He gave. God did it. He gave. Again, we misunderstand this because so often gift-giving is something that we've, we, we've polluted, I think, in modern society. We feel obligated to give gifts, do we not? Oh, my goodness. Oh, look at this Christmas list. You know, the wife and I, our, our grandkids are like 50 years old. Well, not quite that old, but our grandkids are adults. But half of them make more money than I do, and I'm trying to figure out what to buy them for Christmas? It's silly. Gifts are something you give from the heart because you want to give it. And traditionally, it was also when there was a need. And we've lost that. Because we don't need anything today. We want it, we go buy it. Hmm? Our dishwasher broke. Horrible thing. Our dishwasher broke. Heaven forbid we just wash dishes by hand. Can't do it. I don't want to break my nails. Anyway, so we had to buy a new dishwasher. Well, that traditionally could have been a gift. Now, I know I'm going to get some dirty looks from some wives, but that should be a gift, a family gift, you say. We don't do that anymore. We went out and bought a dishwasher. So now, what am I going to do at Christmas time? Ah. I got it. I'm going to buy her a box of Cascade. Pretty nice, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Something she needs. There you go. But we've lost sight of what it means to give. And when we read that verse, God so loved the world that he gave. Unsolicited, unwarranted, but a gift of love. And again, we look at he loved the world. And in a modern sense, we lose sight of what it means to truly love. In Greek, there are at least three words. You've heard these all through the years. You know that. There, there is, there is uh, uh, erotic love, eros. There is uh, platonic or, or, or brotherly love, uh, philia. And then there is agape, the selfless, all-giving, 
altruistic love that God has shown for us through Jesus Christ. And when we read, for God so loved the world, he didn't just give us a hug and a little pat on the head. He loved us. So loved the world, he gave his only son. Now, I'm not talking about the day the kid comes home and the car is empty of gas. I'm talking about the good days. Think of what that would mean to give your only child. That's, that's the significance here that God gives us, that those who believe in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And the beauty is even that belief you see comes from God because that is being born of the Spirit. Where did Jesus get the Spirit? Well, he got it from the Father. We know that. And you can get the Spirit in all sorts of ways. But the one that is demonstrated in the Gospels is that it comes to us in baptism that that is the gift of that water that cleanses us and lets us stand perfect before the Father, you see. Because once that has happened, then we must be born from above. It can't be helped. It's done. Jesus has done it for us. And we need some things in the world, perhaps, to help us understand that. And I think, I think God provides all sorts of things. You know, we talked in, in the announcements, Tracy talked about the ASP and about faith mission and, and all of these things. And those are all magnificent ways. But I want to give you a, a very special example that I was reading about. I, I, it just touched me deeply. It's about the Rochester, New York School District. Okay? And, and uh, interesting story. Most school districts, most school districts have a requirement of public service for their kids. Okay. But Rochester actually has a course in hospice, caring for the dying. And I don't know if any of you have had an affiliation with hospice in central Ohio, but it is one of the most wonderful groups given by God to the world. Well, these kids. These kids were taught to, to think about, uh, to con confront their fears about talking and even thinking about death. And they were sent into the hospice houses. These, there were small uh, little places of, 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 uh, where, where, where people are sent uh, to die or sent to give their family respite until they can get home. And as these kids went there, their lives were transformed. I want to read to you what one of the seniors wrote. This is, this is just striking. But this is this born-again thing, this gift-from-God thing, because it's not about what the senior has done. That's the remarkable thing here. The, the, the senior writes, you know, as, as students, we're supposed to figure out our lives where we're going to go to school next year and all these things, and we need to focus on our grades and on our extracurricular activities. <clears throat> Life for us in high school is pretty self-centered. This course moves you away from that. It teaches you that life is not all about you. Born again. Now, right away, well, but he didn't, no, he didn't do that. The Spirit did that, and God works through such mysterious and wonderful ways. And I know we can't take the church into the classroom, and certainly people will chastise anyone who might suggest 
that God would affect the school board of Rochester, New York. But I truly believe that things like this come from God because in this the Holy Spirit was evoked and lives were changed and there was a whole rebirth, not just a fix and repair, but a rebirth. And when we talk about being born again, we are acknowledging that this is God's affair, his task, his doing, his fulfillment. And what we see in this beautiful, beautiful passage for today is that God loves his creation so much that he gave us freedom. And in that freedom we sinned. And so God would rebirth us through the glory of Christ and connect to us through the water of baptism that we might go into the world and honestly look for these, these ways to take activities in our life and see the Holy Spirit there and be transformed, that we might see the presence of God and be born through the Spirit to serve Christ by serving God through each other. May you carry this with you this week. May you cherish your rebirth and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen.